Good evening, brothers and sisters. Can you hear me back there? Yes, I see a thumbs up. Okay. Uh, if you could please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. If you could turn to the book of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17, verse 25. This was just before the Lord was betrayed, just before he was going to go to the cross. Actually, it's chapter 22, verse 15. Turn forward five chapters. Chapter 22, verse 15. We'll start with verse 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I will just have you focus on just those last two words. I suffer. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I'm going to read this, these two verses again. These are the most, impo- two, the most important two verses for tonight. Therefore... He had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. If you could move forward two chapters to chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then, sorry, there are a couple more verses for today than normal. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 2. This was written hundreds of years before the birth of our Lord Jesus. 
For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and like from and and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this evening that we can come as a family uh, to this place. Lord, to be able to bow before our King and our Lord, the one who gave his life for us, who takes care of us today. Lord, again, there is only one throne here, and we pray that you would take that place on the throne. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored. And Lord, what you want to say, we would hear. Thank you, Lord, that so long ago when you gave your life for us, you imparted a piece of your life in every one of us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, it is a blessing to be able to meet in your presence, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have you all seen the movie Apollo 13? It's a little bit of an older movie. Well, what happened was the Apollo spaceship had an uh, explosion in the oxygen tank. And what happened was that there was too much carbon dioxide. And so um, the, the astronauts didn't know what was going on. And so they called back to Earth, and the Earth guys on Earth figured it out. Now, this afternoon, Kai was asking me a riddle. And it was so hard, it hurt my head. I couldn't figure it out. This problem that they were facing was very similar to this riddle that I still can't figure out. And so they figured out that the filter in the, in the module wasn't working. It had been designed for two people, but they had to squeeze three people in it. And so the carbon dioxide in the ship was starting to go up. And so well, they said, well, this, the filter's still working. Why can't you just run the filter? And they said, we need a new filter. So, well, what, what's the problem? He said, well, we have to take the filter from the upstairs and make it work in the downstairs. I said, well, what's the problem? And the guy brought out the filter for the upstairs. It was a square. And he brought out the filter receptacle downstairs. It was a circle. And so the guy looked at them and said, here's our problem. We have to make this square filter fit into the circular receptacle. Otherwise, they all die. And so they said, well, how long do we have to do it? I forgot the exact number, but it wasn't very long. And the problem was we had to take something that was a square and fit it into a circle. Or you've heard the term getting a peg to fit into a circular hole. It's not possible, right? You know, a similar conundrum in the history of time. How could it be that a God who is completely righteous, completely, be also a God who is completely merciful? This is a problem of fitting a square into a circle. They're opposites. 
Because if God is completely righteous, that means he can't tolerate any sort of sin. It's not that when we're saved, the Lord says, oh, you continue sinning. I'm just going to kind of sweep all of your sins under the carpet and I'll just ignore them. If he is completely righteous, every sin has a punishment and every punishment has to be paid. That's the square. What's the circle? I forgive you for your sins. Now, here's the problem. How do we fit a square into a circle? Luckily, the Lord is a lot smarter than I am. He would have been able to solve Kai's riddle. And so here's the thing. I don't know how it worked out, but the Lord in his wisdom knew every punishment had to be paid. But I am merciful. What's the connection? The baby was born. And he grew up. And he hung on a cross. He was perfect. So what penalty of sin did he have to pay? Nothing. When he died, he lived a perfect life. So he didn't owe anything. And so he said, every punishment has to be paid. That's the square. I will let every punishment fall on me. And then the circle circle. I am a merciful God. Is there another way to do this, brothers and sisters? There was no other way to fit this square into this circle. That's why in Psalm 85, verse 10, it's a really wonderful verse. The verse says, righteousness and peace have kissed. Isn't that a wonderful verse? It's to say that every sin has to be paid for. And I can have peace that my sins are forgiven. The two of them have kissed. And the only way that that could happen, the only way is that a perfect son of God came to this earth and he gave his life and all of our punishment, all of our shame fell on him. And when he died and gave up his life and we mentioned it yesterday, the enemy looked to see could this one life possibly be so precious and so valuable to pay for all of the debts that were owed by all of these people. And when he did his calculation and he didn't miss a cent or a sin, it was enough. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus on that day paid for all of our sins. But you know what? That wasn't the end. That was only the beginning. Sometimes we think that to get the peg into the groove was the end of the story of Apollo 13. It wasn't. After they figured out some way to get this square into the circle, they still had to come home. Brothers and sisters, to be saved is the beginning. And I hope that all of you are saved. If you are not, you know what you have done in your life. If you believe in it, that there is a good and there is an evil, 
what it says is that every evil has to be paid for. And the only way is that you believe in the Lord Jesus. And you say, Lord, I believe in you and I'm going to put all of my sins upon you. And you can pay for my sins. That is the beginning. And I hope that you've accepted the Lord as your Savior. But something else happened on that day, which was of such incredible worth. When he gave up his life, something of that life got spread out to his people. And so in every one of us, in you and me today, there's a little glimmer of a heavenly life. And it's not of this world. And in every one of us, there's a little glow. I think Brother Lance Lambert sharing about it today. There's a little life in us. And that life is, of the whole, is, a, is a holy life. It's a special life. And so we live today because of this life. And the theme of the conference is from chapter 1, verse 14 of 2 Timothy. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. The treasure, brothers and sisters, is far more. And I don't want to minimize what happened on the cross. But it's far more than just to be saved. The treasure is far more than just getting the square peg into the circular hole. That was the beginning. A little bit of that life was entrusted to us, to his church, so that we could be built up. Brothers and sisters, this is extremely precious. So the question that we have that we are facing together is what has been entrusted to us? And we mentioned on the first day that what has been entrusted to us is a person. Now, you believe in a Lord who didn't die 2000 years ago, and that was it. He was raised up. And when he was raised up, he lives with you today. Today, when I was jogging, I asked the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't usually speak to me very clearly. Okay, so don't think that if you have a question, come ask me. This was a special thing for me. I was jogging, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what is the one thing that you want for your people to hear tonight? And almost immediately, the words came into my heart. I will be there. And I thought, I understood it, and I hope at the end of the message, you will understand it. I will be there. We learned that the Lord lives. He still lives and he still speaks. And so we were going to take these uh, four nights that we have together to talk about the Lord Jesus as seen in four Gospels. In the book of Matthew, if you remember on the first day, we decided that, you know, the Lord is the King of Kings. But if you walked in through that door, we may not recognize him. Because his nobility was from heaven. And do we remember the first night we said that in Matthew chapter 27, the word king was mentioned four times. Quite glorious by a governor, by soldiers, on a plaque, like the president has a plaque that said the king of the Jews, by the citizens. But you know, when you saw it, you realized in the earth's way of seeing things, he wasn't a king. The governor was saying, are you the king? Why are you in chains? Where's your army? I have an army, and there's no way they let me be in chains. If you are the king, why are you there in chains? 
Because he didn't know the Lord had an army. But he could not release himself from those chains because he had to save all of us. And then later on, the soldiers who should have saluted him, what did they do? They gave him a crown of thorns and they made him hold a reed in his hand. And they made him wear rags and they bowed before him and they spit upon him and they took that reed out of his hand and beat him on the head. Is this a glorious king, brothers and sisters? You know, in the world's eyes, they would have thought, what a waste of a man. But to us, had he given in and said, you know what, I really am. And if he had let out his glory in one burst, they would have all been wiped out. It would have been over. But his glory was contained inside of himself. Because if he let it out, there's no way he could have gone to that cross to save his people. So he held it in. And then that plaque. Brothers and sisters, that plaque, when the president has his plaque, it's a sign of honor. The seal of the president of the United States. But the Lord Jesus had a plaque that hung over his head. This is the king of the Jews. And it was in all the big languages of the world. So anyone who came by who read it would know that is the king of the Jews. What a waste. He hung there with no life. Weak. And everyone who passed by must have thought, what a waste. And finally, the people, they called out, if you are the king of the Jews, why don't you just come down? And if you came down, you know we'd all believe in you. Brothers and sisters, there's a matter of faith. He couldn't do that because we have to believe in him in our hearts. So, brothers and sisters, the king that we believe in is not a king of the world. And we all have to make the decision. Are we part of his kingdom? And if we are, that means that the life deposited in us doesn't belong in this world. And I'll tell you the truth. The more you follow him, it may be that you just don't feel comfortable in the world. On the second day, we talked, that, talked about uh, the Lord Jesus as a servant. And we mentioned that this life that we have is a servant's life. It is his nature. He served all the time. The people that no one else cared about, the lepers, the blind, the lame, the people that were outcasts, no one cared about them. And if they disappeared off of the face of the earth, no one would notice that they were gone. But the Lord knew every one of their names. He knew them from the time they were born. He knew the difficulties of their life. And he knew where they were going to be at a certain time. You know, one of the Passovers, when everyone was celebrating in the city, do you know where the Lord went? He went to a little pond called Bethesda. No one went to Bethesda. Do you know what Bethesda was? There was a little pool there. And once a year, an angel would go into the pool. And when the angel would go into the pool, the pool would uh, bubble up. And whoever fell in first was healed. So who were the people who hung out around this pool? I mean, it wasn't like a pool where you could go swimming. Or maybe you could go swimming. But it's, they were there because when it bubbled up, they wanted to be the first to roll in. So the people who were there were the outcasts. They were blind. They were lame. They, were, um, they couldn't hear. And so they all stayed there waiting. They were nobody. You know, we mentioned that they were filthy. And the Lord on purpose went and he found a guy in there who had been there for 40 years waiting but he couldn't walk 
so no one could throw him in the pool when time came because everyone who was there had some problem of their own. And the pool bubbled up. You know, they weren't going to stop and say, you know what, I've been waiting here for 12, but you've been waiting here for 40 years. You know what, I'll throw you in first. They weren't going to do that. They would jump right in ahead of him. And so this guy was there for so long. And the Lord went and he found him. He knew everything about this guy. He had no worth on earth. And if he were gone, no one would notice that he was gone. But brothers and sisters, the Lord came to serve. And what we learned uh, yesterday was that this servant's heart is in that life that was entrusted to us. And that is to say that you are all called to be servants. But how do we serve? The way that we serve is we let the Lord serve us in our life. When you are fallen, you call out and he will lift you up. And then when he's lifted you up, when you see your brother or sisters fallen, you will help them up. And then we learned that sometimes in life, two people need to lean on each other. And we talked about Paul and Ananias. Paul, the great Pharisee of Pharisees who was going to kill Ananias. And Ananias got asked by the Lord to go right up next to Paul and say, actually at the time his name was Saul, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. You know, it's a special thing to be a Christian. The two of you, you and the person sitting next to you, you, have, you share the same life. And so that's why it was so important for me to share with you all that you make friends during this conference. And when you leave, you guys support each other and lean on each other. And then we mentioned that to serve one another is to build up the church. The Lord loves his church. And so we serve one another to lift up the church. And now today, we get to the book of Luke. Now, do you all know who Luke was? Luke was a physician. And what he did is he studied everything that happened, and he wrote it all down very carefully because he wanted to make sure there was no doubt about the Lord Jesus' life. And so in this book, he started at the very, very beginning. It's the one book that tells you about the Lord when he was a little kid. Now, can you imagine the Lord when he was a little kid? I always used to wonder, you know, the Lord comes up to a pond and everyone else is going around the pond. So maybe I'll just walk right through the middle of it. Or maybe I'll just walk right over the water. You know, I don't think he did that. But he could have. You know, the Lord growing up must have been a, a really a nice boy. I wonder if, uh, you know, that kindness that we know in him, it was always there. And I suspect that we would all like him very much. He was a very, he's, we know his kindness in his heart. And as a boy, he grew up. In the book of Luke, it tells us the entire story. Brothers and sisters, on Sunday mornings when we gather together, most of your fellowships might be like mine. We have a cup and we have a bread. And we take that cup because it reminds us of his blood shed for us. And we take that bread because it reminds us of his body that was broken for us. You know, the bread looks like something called manna. Have you guys heard of manna before? When the Israelites were leaving uh, captivity and they were roaming through the uh, uh, land, every morning they'd get hungry. And there's a little manna that would show up on the ground for 40 years. And the people would pick up the manna and eat it. They could only pick up one day's worth because if they picked up two days worth, after they ate the first nights, the second days, it'd get rotten. There'd be worms. No joking. 
This is exactly the words in the Bible, worms. So they, if they said, you know what, I'm really hungry today, I'm going to take two days' worth of these, this stuff. I mean, that's what manna is, you know. Manna comes from the word, what is that? I mean, that's what manna means. What is that? Well, they picked up two of these things, and the second day it would get rotten. And this happened for 40 years. Oh, except on Saturday. On Saturday you had to pick up two because Sunday you couldn't do any work. So they pick up two, and miraculously on Sunday there were no worms. This is the Lord's grace. Anyways, 40 years come and go. And finally the people of Israel get to the Jordan River, and they cross. And you know on the next day the manna stopped because they could eat from the land. But a battle was going to happen at Jericho. And so do you guys remember the general who was in charge of Israel? His name was Joshua. He was a young guy, and he was nervous. You know, it's custom for a general to go and survey the land before the battle. So he went out to survey the land, and there was a guy there. And the guy had a sword in his hand. So he walks up to this guy, and he says, Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? You know what the guy says? No. And what kind of an answer is that? I said, are you for us or are you for our enemies? You can choose, are you for us or you can choose, are you for our enemies? He says, no. He says, I have come as captain of the, of the army of the Lord of hosts. And you know what Joshua does? He bows before him. He says, what do you have to say to your servant? And he says, take off your shoes. Because the, the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, who has the authority to say that? There's only one person who can say that. The Lord Jesus. Right? Remember when the angels said it and people cr- fall down before him? They said, just get up. You know, you don't have to do that around me. I'm just like you. Like in the book of Revelation. Just get up. But this guy didn't say, just get up. He said, take your shoes off and bow. Why? It was the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had come to lead his own army. Now, here's my question to you, brothers and sisters, and some of you may have heard me ask this before. Why did the Lord come the way he did? Why in the book of Luke is there a description of a little boy? What if the Lord Jesus had just come like he did in the book of uh, Joshua? He came as an adult, and he was hung on the cross, and he was killed for you and me. Would your sins have been forgiven? What is the requirement for you and I to be saved? It is that a perfect lamb is offered for you. Is that not true? If a perfect lamb was offered for you, then your sins would be forgiven. So why, brothers and sisters, why go through the trouble of being born in a manger? No one wants to sleep in a manger. You know, at the conference, we have to sleep on the floors this time. I have to sleep on a floor It doesn't feel good to sleep on a hard floor. Why did I have to come and sleep in a manger? Why grow up? Why go through all of that suffering? If the only transit... I'm being facetious, little brothers and sisters, okay? But bear with me for a second. Why go through all of this trouble if the end point was just that your sins and mine would be forgiven because a perfect God was offered for us? Why the trouble? If he came like he did in Joshua and he announced who he was and he did some things when he was 30 years old and for three years did all the same things. And then he was captured and he was hung on the cross as he was and he was 
beaten down. And he gave his life for us. Would that have been enough? Brothers and sisters, I'm joking a little bit, but think about that for a second. Because you know what? It would have been. But you know, nothing that the Lord did was on accident. He planned it perfectly by his choice. He said, this is the way it was going to be done. And I was going to be born on this day to this family. And I was going to go through all of this suffering. And then I was going to be hung on the cross. Do you think that the Lord only suffered when he got hung on the cross? There's, there's, there are words of his suffering long before he was hung. He suffered his whole life. The Bible tells us that the Lord learned obedience through what? Through the things that he suffered. What is so special about that, brothers and sisters? He was always obedient. He was always obedient. What's different about this? Why did he have to suffer? Because in the book of Luke, he came as a man. He was born in a family. He knew more about right and wrong than his mom and dad did. But the Bible tells us that he lived in subjection to his mom and dad. Why? Brothers and sisters, do you know the reason? I will tell you the reason. Now, some of you brothers and sisters have heard me share the first part of this message before. I hope that you can bear with us. But as I prayed for this conference, I really felt that everyone needed to hear this. Why did the Lord do it the way he wanted to? Came as a baby, suffered, and was hung. Why not just as an adult? Because, brothers and sisters, he knew that one day you and I would have a night where we felt lonely. Where we felt we didn't know where we were going. He knew that one, of, one night you and I would wake up with uncertainty and be afraid. He knew that someone was going to go to college for the first time and leave home. He knew that someone was going to lose their father or mother at an early age. He knew that someone was going to be made fun of in school. He knew that someone was going to go to school and feel like, I don't belong anywhere around here. Everything that you and I have gone through, he knew that this would happen. So why did he choose? It was by his choice that he came the way he did. Because the Bible tells us he is the God of all comfort. What does that mean? You know, brothers and sisters, um, I work at a uh, hospital that's a cancer hospital. And in a cancer hospital, everyone is dying. Sometimes I go and I talk to one of my patients and I try to um, let them know that uh, I understand how they feel. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know how they feel. They have four or six months to live. I don't know how they feel. What's even worse, brothers and sisters, is when someone's child has four to six months to live. And I walk in and I try and tell them that I understand them. You know what? I don't understand them. And they know it. They're very polite. They listen to me tell them about the medical part, what their prognosis is and things like that. And they're very polite. But they know that I have no clue what pain they're going through. I have a son. I have three sons. 
I have never had to worry about them losing their life. Brothers and sisters, they know that I cannot understand what they're going through. But you know, there's a wonderful thing in the cancer hospital called a support group. Do you know what happens in a support group? When they get together, everyone in that room, when they sit around in a circle, every one of them has a son or a daughter who has six months to live. Or every one of them themselves have six months to live. And they sit there, and you know when they talk, they say something, the rest of them, they all listen. Why do they listen? Because they know that this person knows what they are going through. If, if I went in there and said something, forget about it. You could say anything you want, and you have no idea what I am going through. But when someone else who has lost their son says to them, you know what? Show them love. Don't ever let them think about dying. Give them joy for whatever time they have. And you will suffer, but at the end you will be so happy that you gave your child joy. They know that right when they say that, they know this person knows what they're talking about. Why is that, brothers and sisters? Because they have gone through the same thing. Now, brothers and sisters, the question comes back. Why not just as an adult? Why not just come, give his life for us, and we would be saved? And all of us who believed in him would be saved. Why come the way he did? Brothers and sisters, there was going to be one day when someone was going to suffer through the night for something. And if the Lord Jesus didn't experience it through suffering, he didn't want to be the comforter without going through that. So by his own choice, he decided, I'm going to suffer for my people. And not only am I going to suffer, but I'm going to suffer in the worst way. So that no matter what any of my people go through, when they call out to me and I tell them, I know how you feel. I've been through it before. Whenever I say that, I want them to know that it's true. Now, brothers and sisters, why? Who is the man of sorrows? Why? So many times in the book of Luke does it repeat the same phrase. I have to suffer. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, for you, that is the reason. And for me. Brothers and sisters, we don't believe in a Lord who's far away and has no clue what we're going through. We don't believe in a Lord who says, you know what? That's their problem. And I will hold them at an arm's length. And when they need me, we can have some surrogates. Go help them out. We believe in the Lord who will be with us from beginning to end. Can you turn with me to the book of Matthew? Chapter 10, verse 29. It's a very nice little story that I wanted to read. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. We'll read through verse 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, I study the skin. I know the skin back and forth. I know the hair. I mean, skin is hair, nail, and skin. 
I know the hair back and forth. You have a lot of hair. Some of you have far more hair than others. Every day you're losing hair, and every day you're growing hair. And if we try to keep a tally, and if you had a couple hours every day and just wanted to count every hair, so take the first one, put number one on it, take the second, put number two, and you count all of the hairs and get an exact number. By the time you're done counting, one of those other hairs would have fallen out. You know, the Lord knows every hair on your head. And this story is about a sparrow. You could buy is it two sparrows for one penny. Two sparrows for one penny. That's practically worthless. Right? I mean, they did a study. If you walked by the street and saw a penny on the ground, most people wouldn't pick it up. Two sparrows, very little worth. But the Bible tells us when one of these sparrows falls, the original language says, the Lord falls with it. The Lord has been with you your whole life. You may not know it, but all the things that you have gone through, he has been there. And he has watched. You know, some things might bother one brother and not bother another brother. And you know, some things are hard on one person, but not hard on another. But for you, the Lord knows all the things that cause you heartache. Some people are very scared of speaking in public. Some people are very scared of heights. And other people are not. But the Lord knows Everything about each one of you that makes you worried. And the wonderful thing is, he will be there with you when that happens. Now, brothers and sisters, the God of all comfort, that is his name. And so, if there's one thing to remember in the book of Luke, the Lord suffered so that when you are afraid, I will be there. That was the one line he wanted you to remember. I will be there. So, brothers and sisters, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2 again. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now do you understand this verse, brothers and sisters? He came because he wanted to know what you would go through. So when you suffered, he could be there. Now, brothers and sisters, if we look through this verse, um, what is a merciful and faithful high priest? The first part of this verse reads, He had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. What is the job of a high priest? You know, a high priest in the Bible is an advocate. What is an advocate? It's someone who is on your side. Now, have you ever watched a lawyer uh, TV show? Now, in a lawyer TV show... Um, the lawyer is supposed to defend his client. The lawyer is an advocate for his client. And, you know, sometimes there are these comedies where the guy will go up and say, you know, make some argument. And then he wrote, you know what, judge, the guy's just guilty. You know, he's just guilty. That's not, that's not an advocate. An advocate is someone who will always defend a person. A high priest 
is an advocate. Now, the Lord Jesus loves one particular job. You know, we all have an advocate with him. When you are in trouble, when you have sinned, who is the one who will plead your case? The Lord Jesus. He has the ear of the Father. And he knows everything that you have gone through. And so when you are suffering and when you have difficulty, the Bible tells us he was made like us in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. What does merciful mean? Mercy means he was guilty. But you know what? I have given my life for him. So when you and I stand before the judgment seat, And they read off all the things that we are guilty of. They are all true. The Lord will say, I paid for every one of those sins. Every last one. He is our advocate. Merciful. Faithful. Now, it's not faithfulness of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It's not as if one day the Lord is just going to forget to show up. You know, if all of you have committed sins and I've committed so many sins, the Lord is not one to say, you know, one day he just forgets about sins for one day. Every sin that we have committed, every failing, the Lord will always be faithful. He knows what we have gone through. He knows our failings. And so he goes before the Father. He will not forget. You know, brothers and sisters, what's so wonderful about the Lord is there's one thing that he will forget. All of our sins. When we have asked him for forgiveness, he not only forgives our sins, but as far as the east is from the west, he takes them away. He just forgets. But he never forgets all of our times of suffering. He never forgets all of the tears that we have shed. He remembers all of those things. So brothers and sisters, he's faithful. He's full of mercy. And he is our high priest. And then you keep reading, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Brothers and sisters, this part is going to be a little heavy, and I ask that you bear with me. Can you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 4? Someone once asked me the question, has the Lord, is temptation a sin? What do you think the answer to that question is? Temptation is not a sin. How do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus was tempted. And he never sinned. So temptation is not a sin. But boy, brothers and sisters, we can all fall. And we can all uh, get tripped up by temptation. And we can all succumb to it. And likely many of us have. Now, brothers and sisters, when the Lord was declared, he was baptized and the Lord and God, the father said from on high, this is my beloved son and him. I am well pleased. The Lord immediately got up and he went in to be tempted by Satan. Now, Satan tempted him in three ways. And these are the same temptations that he's always tempting us with. And he bombards us with these same three things in different forms and fashions over and over again. Why did the Lord have to suffer through these temptations? Because when we are tempted, he can come to our aid. What were they? 
let's look at this. Chapter four, verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Three temptations. Now, brothers and sisters, the enemy knows exactly how to trip us all up. The first thing that happened to the Lord, you know, if I go a day without eating, I get pretty hungry. Forty days is a long time. Forty days ago, it was the first day of June. Now, can you imagine not eating from then, or maybe it was the first week of June, till now? That's a long time. I would be pretty hungry. Now, the Lord is the Lord. He has the power to turn a stone into bread. But one thing we know about the Lord is he never took a step without the leading of his father. When the father said, go, he would go. And when the father said, come, he would come. Brothers and sisters, what was the enemy tempting the Lord Jesus with? He was tempting the Lord Jesus with this. Why do you need to wait instructions why do you need to listen to what someone else tells you to do why not just do it why not just take that stone make it into bread you haven't eaten for 40 days you should turn it into a filet mignon brothers and sisters the temptation wasn't just to eat bread the temptation was to disobey and to declare independence you don't need God. You don't need your father. Just do it. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, brothers and sisters, do you know that we who have this life that's been implanted in us, that life loves to follow after the Lord. You know, you will find as you grow and you have the more opportunity to serve, sometimes you're asked to serve and you don't want to serve. Believe me. Sometimes that will happen. And you will come up with every idea in your mind to try and get out of it. But the Lord in his mercy will say, you should still do it. I'm speaking of myself. And it's happened to me. But you know, every time that I've done it, and when I've looked, say, at brothers and sisters' faces, and I meet my brothers and sisters, something lifts up in my heart. 
and stands up. Because this life that's in us, it, uh, it, it's created to follow him. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus goes up to his lambs and he calls out their names, what do they do? They all come out. Why? Because the lambs all recognize his voice. So when he comes out and calls their names, they all come out. Brothers and sisters, we were made to follow a wonderful Lord. It's built into us, this life. It longs to follow. But the enemy is at work to say, you know what? You should declare independence. Why do you need to stop and listen? Why do you need to follow orders? Why not just do it yourself? Brothers and sisters, it gets deeper. He will ask you, how do you know that the Lord wants the best for you? Don't you know better than he does? What if it was your lifelong dream to go to New Mexico to become a whatever they do in New Mexico? What if it was your lifelong dream to do that? What if the Lord asked you to go someplace else? You know, we're always worried about this. He can ask me to go be a missionary and go to Zimbabwe. You know, we're always worried about that. That's just a joke. Here's the real thing. What if I always wanted to be a physician? And what if the Lord leads me to be something I don't want to be? A firefighter. I don't know what. Brothers and sisters, we like to hold on because we like to take control of our life. When I'm hungry, I just want to turn that stone into bread. I have the power. Why not? You know, this little life, this is a secret, brothers and sisters. This little life that's been implanted in you, if you let it grow... And if you let it lead this life that has been entrusted to you, you will become everything that you were meant to do in this life. That has to do with how you are in the world. And that has to do with how you are before God. He may intend for you to be the president of the United States. No joke. He may intend for you to do something. And if that's the case, if you let this life in you, lead. You will be led to where you are supposed to go. That is a promise. Brothers and sisters, you are meant to follow. And when that Lord, the Lord's calling comes out, you will follow it. And he will lead you where you are supposed to go. The temptation, and brothers and sisters, we've all heard is, take control of your own life. Because if you entrust it to God, who knows where you're going to end up? But brothers and sisters, the temptation is there. And the Lord suffered through it. The Lord was so hungry. He had the power. Why not just take this one step? You know, the Lord, my father wanted me to go in this direction. But the end, there's this little piece of rock that's just two feet off the path. Why not just take it? I mean, what's wrong? Because brothers and sisters, the temptation is simply that one little thing. You know... My uh, friend Steve, a good friend of mine, he's a math major. He always tells me, you know, in a long line, if you deviate by one, it's called a degree, one degree, and if you follow it out for a zillion centimeters, that little difference becomes like, I don't know, half a zillion centimeters or, or whatever it is. I'm sure that you guys doing algebra could tell me. But it's true. 
a small deviation. And before long, we start to get used to it. Brothers and sisters, we all, we all succumb to this temptation. I have done it so many times. You know, every time we prepare for a message, you know what I tell the Lord? Lord, please do, lo- do not let me deviate from what you want me to say. Because there's no good in that. My wife tells me, you make too many jokes. And I say, okay, don't make so many jokes. Okay, and here I am making all these jokes. But at any rate, I hope the Lord forgives me. But the point of it is, brothers and sisters, we, st- we walk on the path with the Lord. Where he leads, I will go. And you know, if he leads me to a place that I didn't expect, so be it. Because this life inevitably will lead us where we want to go. And you know what? We will be fulfilled. You will be happy. And along the road, you know, we're always worried, who am I going to marry? You know, if this, you let this little life go, you're going to meet them. And it will be wonderful. Brothers and sisters, trust it. The Lord entrusted something to you. A life that would lead you on. And the enemy said, don't trust that entrusting. Don't trust what's been entrusted to you. Go by what you already had. But no, brothers and sisters, what's entrusted to you is special. And it will lead you on. And you can't go wrong. Believe it, brothers and sisters. Okay? The second temptation. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, this one, boy. I never succumb to this one, right? He brings the Lord up to this uh, area and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all of the riches. And everyone, the Lord's looking out there. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, Syria, uh, no, Damascus and all the other big cities, which is escaping my mind and all the riches. You know, what is it that we all, unfortunately, in the bottom of our heart, all of these riches, wealth, glory. And he says, Don't you want all these things? And the Lord says, his his answer tells tells it all. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What he was saying is, all of that stuff, it's not just owning it, it's worshiping it. Now, brothers and sisters, right now in your life, it might be small things. But you know, when I bought my first house, boy, I really got tripped up. Because you start looking at all of these things and... You know, it's, there's a greed in every one of us that comes up. We want to not only be wealthy, but we want others to know we're wealthy, which is why we buy the best shoes, T-shirts, I don't know, whatever it is that people, iPods. You know, and we always want that. And you know what? You ask any brother or sister in the entire conference, unless they have a really special gift, most people have had this sin in their life at some point because the temptation comes and it takes a denying of yourself to say, you know what? I would rather have my Lord than have these things. It takes a real denying of ourselves. Brothers and sisters, you know, the real issue is this. Just before this happened, there was a voice that came out of heaven. And what did that voice say? This is my beloved son. And in him, I am well pleased, but only if he were a little richer. That's not what it said. It said, in him, I am well pleased. For where he was at that point, he was perfect. And he had very little. And basically what the temptation is, you know who the Lord has made you today? It's not enough. 
where that little life that was in you that's growing, it's not enough. You need to dazzle it up a little bit. Put a little flash into it. Dress it up. Because who you are right now is just not good enough. But brothers and sisters, you know, the Lord, He knows you so well. And He made you the way that you are. Some of us are shy. And some of us are outgoing. And some of us are um, afraid to uh, serve. And others probably serve too easily. Some of us are popular at school. Others are not. Some of us are like computers and others like sports and clothes. And, you know, the Lord made all of us a little different. Um, I've given this example before, but it, it's my favorite example of this. There was a movie called um, Who Wants a Date with Some Fella. His name was like Bob Jones. I forgot his real name, but who wants to win a date with Bob Jones? That wasn't his real name. I forgot his name. Like, I forgot his name. At any rate, he was a superstar, really handsome. He was like, you know, six foot four and really built. And uh, this one girl in the small city really loved this guy. And so she put in uh, an application to get a date with him. And uh, she won. But there's a scrawny little guy in the same little city who really loved her. And he really loved this girl and he cared about her. And so um, the guy goes on a date with her and she totally falls in love with him. I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, and he does everything right. And whenever they walk out, you know, all the paparazzi are there taking pictures of them and she thinks oh this is so glamorous you know this scrawny little guy who uh you know he's nobody compared to this guy and then one day the 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 popular guy bob um is going to the bathroom and so the scrawny little guy (laughs) joe i don't know his name um he he beats the door down and he goes in and he says to, he says to, to what's his name again? Bob. <laughs> he says, you better treat her well. And he says, do you know that she has six smiles? He says, you know, there's a smile that she makes when she's nervous. And there's a smile that she has when she's really happy. And there's a smile that she has when she's just polite. And, and she, he goes through all these things. And then, of course, Bob never noticed these things. And um, the fact of the matter is, when you compare these two, what happened with this scrying little guy who really loved her was he knew everything about her. He noticed all of the little things about her that no one else noticed. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't mean to trivialize the Lord. The Lord knows all six of our smiles, if you know what I mean. He knows that smile that you make when you're just trying to be polite. He knows that smile when you're shy. And he knows when you're worried, the face that you make. He knows everything about us. You know, he made us that way. And what's so wonderful about this is the temptation here is the Lord made you a certain way. This is who you are. And he made you that when he loves you the way he made you. But the enemy in the world is going to say, you know what? It's not enough. You have to be like the world. And so we go to school And we feel like we have to act this way. And it really, we fall to the temptation. 
But you know what the Lord says? I was tempted in every way, and I know how much it, it, it suffered in me. And he goes to back us up. He's our advocate and our high priest. Was that a sin? It was a sin. Did it require punishment? I paid the punishment on the cross. Now come on back home because I made you the way that you are and I know exactly who you're supposed to be. And on this day, July 25th, 2008, this is who you are supposed to be. Let that life grow in you. Brothers and sisters, may I ask you something? In the house of God, there is no place for us to put pressure on one another to be like the world. In the house of God, if that occurs, it is shameful. In the house of God where we meet today, we should encourage the Lord's life in each other. The temptation is you have to have a little bit of the world decorating you. Brothers and sisters, it's a lie. In the house of God, we should encourage one another, comfort one another. The Lord made us all a certain way. May we lift that up. Let that light shine. Every one of us entrusted a little life. And when we're all together, there's a glow of the Lord. So don't put a lamp on it. A fancy lamp from the world. All glittery and with paparazzi. The Lord made you a certain way. He made me a certain way. And he knew exactly what he was doing. The real temptation was who you are is not enough. You must be like the world. Brothers and sisters, we have a faithful and merciful high priest who suffered with the same temptations. He knows that calling and that urge. He knows how strong it is. But praise the Lord, our Lord did not fall. So we look to him and say, Lord, praise the Lord. You know, but he still understands. The third temptation. He will give his angels. The enemy has memorized the Bible. And he starts quoting from the Bible. And he says to him, well, why don't you test it? Why don't you jump down and see if this is true, that uh, the angels are going to lift you up so you don't strike your foot against a stone? And the Lord says, you will not put the Lord your God to the test. What is this temptation, brothers and sisters? You know, the, the enemy is after us to say, could this book actually be true? And he can take this book and he can twist it all up to confuse us. Brothers and sisters, the words in this book are life. And you know what? That little life that was entrusted to you, when it comes together with these words, it lights up. When you read this word, it is life to us. Brothers and sisters, though, what the enemy is saying, could it possibly be true? Could it possibly be true that the Lord loves you so much that he'd forgive you for any sin? I mean, do you remember what you just did last week in the darkness of your life? Do you remember the sin that you committed? Do you remember what you did with that particular sin that you always fall to? How could the Lord possibly forgive you for the 50 zillionth time? How could he possibly forgive you? You know what? You must make penance. You now go make a sacrifice or something. Because it's impossible that he would forgive you over and over and over again for the same sin. How could that be true? 
Why don't you jump off and see? It can't be true. What he's trying to do is he shakes us. Test the Lord. Don't believe it. Why? Because he wants us to think that we're on our own and that we earn our way. Brothers and sisters, if you sin for the 50th time in the same way, and you go to that cross and you see that the blood, the blood that was shed by our Savior, could it possibly be enough? It is. But the enemy doesn't want us to think so. The temptation is, it's impossible that he could love you that much. It's impossible. This is a dangerous temptation, brothers and sisters, because the second we allow it into our hearts that it's impossible that the Lord loves us so much, we are really heading in trouble. When you doubt the love of the Lord, what happens when we fall? The enemy wants to change everything about being a Christian into doing things. You have to earn his love. You have to do it. You know, if you do well, then he loves you. If you fail, he doesn't love you. And he doesn't love you until you've done all these things. And then maybe he'll like you a little bit. But brothers and sisters, that is not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is he loves us. And he's given everything for us. The temptation is so real, brothers and sisters. I, I imagine all of us have had it come. You fell that same sin. Now, brothers, I always mention this to the brothers. Brothers have a particular weakness, a weakness of the flesh. And it is a sin that might happen over and over and over again. And you think, how in the world could I possibly be good enough to go into the Lord's presence? After what I have done. And the enemy says you could not possibly be good enough. So why don't you stay on the outside? Forget it. You cannot go in after what you did for the bazillionth time. And he gets us. And then we get used to living on the outside. We get used to living far away. And we get used to having a cold heart. But you know the fact of the matter is. We belong on the inside, right near him. That is where your life is. Brothers and sisters, this temptation is so powerful. I can't tell you. It's always subtle at the beginning. And then before you know it, four years go by and high school is over, college is over, and you are so far away from the Lord because you felt like you sinned and because you felt like you had to prove yourself before you came back. But brothers and sisters, the love is absolute. And it is real. And this is that temptation, this last temptation. Brothers and sisters, why did the Lord come as a baby? Why did he come and uh, grow up with um, so much suffering? The book of Luke tells us he was a child. He was born in a manger. And he grew up and he suffered so much. Why? When you fail... I will be there. And when you have fallen and you pray, the Lord Jesus, he will say, I have been there before you. I know how you feel. Stay near. You have to believe this, brothers and sisters. Temptations will come against you all like floods. When you were young, floods of temptation. 
But if you cling to this little bit of truth, the Lord will lead you where you're supposed to go. You may fall to the temptation, but when you have fallen, go home. He'll say, rise up and come home. The last part, brothers and sisters, I have to mention is 2 Corinthians. I, I'm sorry, I'm going a little late. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. In the last two minutes and 20 seconds. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And that is not the end of the verse. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Brothers and sisters, you are all together for a reason. When one of you needs comforting, it is your responsibility to comfort them. You know, it's very easy in the house of God that we look at each other and see the thorn in each other's eye rather than the log that's in our own eye. When someone falls, we love to say, look at that guy. Look how they feel, particularly if you don't like that person very much. You like to point out, look, he fell again and he falls again. He did this wrong. He did that wrong. Brothers and sisters, in the house of God, we all fall. And we comfort each other with the comfort by which we have been comforted. Have you been comforted by the Lord? If you have been comforted by the Lord, you bear a responsibility. And that responsibility is to comfort another when they go through the same suffering. Because you'd be surprised, brothers and sisters, we all go through the same sufferings. That is why the house of God is so special. You are built up together. Each of you has that same life. So let that light shine before men. And build each other up. See, so you start seeing a theme about this entrusting. The entrusting is for you, yourself, and your regular life. And it is also for the building of the house of God all the time. It's not just for you. It's for the house of God. The gifts, if you fall and you've been lifted up, that gift, use it. Build each other up. We oftentimes don't think of falling as a gift. But the lifting up of after you've fallen, it's a gift. Use it. Support each other. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, these brothers and sisters of mine. And I thank you, Lord, that on this walk and on this way, that none of us are alone. Lord, you are leading us on. And not only are you leading us on, but, Lord, you've given us companions for the way. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that when the enemy comes to tempt them, that they would draw near to you. And, Lord, that they would find that you are there for them. And, Lord, when they have fallen and the enemy comes to say that they are not good enough, I pray, Lord, that they would come to you and you would say to them, your sins are forgiven, come home. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we know that you love us and we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brothers and sisters, just a couple of quick, quick announcements again. Um, the first is that uh, um, tomorrow morning we have morning devotion here in this room again. Uh, so please be here at 7 o'clock. 
Um, and uh, lights out at 1030. But before you go out, fellowship with one another. Okay, make some friends. All right, good night.